Bart, I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tune. Yo, everybody, what's going on? And welcome back once again to Simpsons is Greater Than, a podcast all about the cultural impact of the best show of all time. Can you guess what it is? Oh, wait. Come on, it's the Simpsons. You know that. Come on, I know all of you know that. As always, I'm your host, Warren, better known to some of you as Bart of Darkness. You might know me from my Simpsons collection over on Instagram or Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if not, when you're done with this episode, go check it out. Let me know what you think. Shoot me a message. We'll become friends. It'll be fantastic. Just go check it out. So I'm joined today by Nick DeHaan, who's been working on the show since 2015 and who just had his first writing credit on the show. Everybody give it up for Nick. The episode is called Bart's in Jail. It's a great episode, and if you care what I think, you're going to want to go check this one out, and I think you'll know Nick pretty well after this episode, so I say we just start it now. Episode 49. Let's go. And, you know, here I am with a shelf full of books in my house that I haven't touched in, you know, probably seven or eight years because it's like, ah, I'll just listen to it, you know? Exactly. They're decorative. It's like, oh yeah, I've got a lot of the, all these Bukowskis. You know, I used to read these all the time. They're they're covered in dust. I'll say one <laughs> thing that ties all the you know Simpsons writers that have been there a long time. Is they do listen to a lot of autobiographies and a lot of nonfiction, a lot of stuff about Hollywood, a lot of just good stories. Something I don't, I don't, I am much fiction. I'm like so serious about that <laughs> stuff. But it, it makes sense. I feel like a lot of good stories have come out of listening listening to you know, Shoe God by Phil Knight, like the books you see that would be at Starbucks. Like not, right. not the like highfalutin crazy stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. I should really, uh, I should really broaden my horizons when it comes to audiobooks because for me, yeah. if anything, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this, uh, this new Star Wars book on audio or I'm listening to whatever oh, it may great. be, you know? So that's, that's, that's fun to do. Um, and then for TV shows that I've been watching lately, oh my God, I don't even know what I've been watching lately. It's like, it's like sad, the the stuff that's, on Netflix. I didn't watch Squid Game. I can tell you the stuff I haven't been watching that other people say, you have to watch this. Well, Nick, let me just say, you do have to watch Squid Game. <laughs> do I have to watch Squid Game? I do feel out of the loop. I feel a little bit out of the loop. I was gone all month. I had a crazy month. I had this episode. I got married. I had a honeymoon. I'm really showing off right now. So I'm sort no. of disconnected from the world for I just came back. I'm like a little bit it's like finally over my jet lag, getting back in the groove. So I kind of missed this month of, of Squid Game and all this stuff. I came back and I I really wanted to see a movie. And I I still haven't seen Dune yet, but I saw No Time to Die. I really wanted to see the new James Bond movie. Mm. And it was great. It wasn't like the best James Bond movie ever. And it had lots of plot issues, but it was so fun to watch. I was so happy to go back. And I hadn't seen a movie in, in forever in the theaters. And it was so cool to go back. And so now I want to oh. see Dune and I want to see... Maybe I'll see Eternals. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think I want to see Eternals. I mean, Dune is definitely, I, I will say, I just saw it. Uh, really yeah. good. Make sure you don't go too late because it is long. 
And right. I will not. I would not say it's boring, but you know, I went to a nine o'clock showing, and let's just say, uh, regardless of how good it was, my eyes were getting a little heavy by the end. But Dune, uh, very good. Uh, Squid Game, very good. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where everyone is telling you you got to see it, which gets a little annoying. But uh, I watched the whole thing in two days. It's really great. And I also, I just want to say this on the podcast to put this out into the universe. I also watched uh, Why the Last Man, which before it was even done. They oh, already yeah. said that it was, you know, they were not going to make a second season on that network. Uh, so anyone that didn't watch that, whether or not you're familiar with the comic book, go watch that show and and just tweet at anyone you can think of about making another season I of that. I mean, Steve, th- I saw Stephen King's tweet. That was great. Good job, uh, Stephen King. We were just talking about it because, as you know, we, you, as you probably know, we're having this crazy. Cesar Mazariegos two-parter episode coming up, which I'm personally super excited about. Shout out to Cesar, early guest on the Shout podcast. Cesar. I love Cesar. I'm always talking about Cesar. I'm, <laughs> he's my favorite. He's great. But, uh, and we were talking about it because I was trying to, you know, oh, I wonder if like FX could do a promo for us. For the, it, was too, it was too close to the air date of it happening. It was like, oh, we should do some weird cross-promotional stuff where we're doing you know, this gritty FX thing. I'm just like, what FX show is even, I couldn't think of it. I know there was Legion, like FX, I kind of, I couldn't think of like, what's the good prestige drama that's currently airing. I mean, I know Fargo obviously, but it's not, I don't think they have a season this year. And then we were talking about that. Why is last man like, wait, and everyone was saying good things about it. And then it had just gotten canceled. That was crazy. It is so good. I mean, I, I somehow I missed the announcement that it had been canceled and it happened like two or three weeks before yeah. the show ended. And I was watching the finale and I was like, Oh man, I hope they've already renewed it for a second season. I look it up and I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Come on. How many times is this going to happen uh, with a good show? And it's, you know, they have so much story left to tell. So everybody go watch why the last man, you, you know, it, it ends on a nice place. Even if it doesn't do more, uh, it's a really cool story. I think everyone will feel uh, like they need more of that. So definitely. Yeah, it's hard for those shows to really, you know, if they don't get caught on so quick immediately, it's just, they don't give it really give it a chance. You know, it's a lot to set up. I mean, they need some time. Yeah. Yeah. They need some time. Um, well, Nick, you know, I, I say we go ahead and roll into the actual interview. Cause I could talk about why the last man or squid game or Dune. Really? I could talk about that for an entire the episode, things I haven't seen, but I want to hear you talk about <laughs> you can just tell me the plot of every episode. I'll listen. Yeah. I'll just walk Nick through what happens in every movie. That sounds like a good episode. <laughs> uh, but the way I start every one of these, you know, a sincere question, not just a casual passive version of the question is how are you? Oh, I am great. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I just left our Simpsons writers room Zoom. I saw Matt Selman looked a little confused. Where did Nick go? You know, <laughs> probably thinking I'm at a doctor's appointment. He doesn't know what I'm doing. Uh, I feel great. It feels cool. I feel like I'm playing hooky, leaving work for more work. I guess to talk talk about my favorite show and the show I'm working on. Yeah, see, I'm going to say that I take that as uh, a full compliment to uh, to to sort of dip out on the Simpsons to come talk to me. I know so that 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 does feel nice. And I have two computers. I have my work computer from Fox that they gave us during this crazy pandemic. And uh, yeah, I, if I want, I could be watching both Zooms at the same time. I could see it on that. Wow. Computer while looking at you. You could see, see the script being worked on for a year and a <laughs> half from now. So. 
Yeah, don't don't tempt don't tempt me, Nick. I'll start bugging you to do that. <laughs> I know. Um, so you know, obviously, Nick, I wanted to have you on the show not only just to talk to you and sort of get your Simpson story, but uh, for anyone that doesn't know, Nick just had his first credited script on the show. The second episode of season thirty-three, really, really good stuff. Before we dig into that, before we get too into the episode, I want you to tell me, uh, tell me about your journey to the show and how did you start working for The Simpsons? Oh, wow. So long ago now, uh, I was, had graduated college. I was living in San Francisco at the time and I was sort of in college. I was a serious playwright and, and doing, I wasn't sure if I was going to do TV or comedy for sure early on. And then I decided all of a sudden I'm going to do, I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to do this. And before I even moved to LA, uh, I got a call from a friend who had an aunt that worked on the show and said to send me, to send her a script. And so I sent her a play I had written and then she immediately, and I thought this is how I got the job for a while. I thought I got the job because I wrote this script and I didn't really know her (laughs) role on the show, but it really was just to get an interview, to be a a regular PA on the show. Um, And the reason I got the job and I was so excited when I heard it was the Simpsons and Oh my God, I didn't even look at it as an opportunity. I just thought there was this producer in LA was going to read my script. I flew down. No, I drove down. I drove down to LA and I came to the interview all excited. And I asked a different writer friend. I met with her and she was working on NCIS Los Angeles. And she told me the great, the best advice, do, do not show up like it's a regular interview. Do not show up in a suit. Like these are right. Cause I've never been <laughs> in the writer's room and a lot of people, and you can see, and like later on, you know, I see people go to these interviews for these type of jobs. And this is my advice to you if you're listening. Yeah. Nobody dresses up to go to work on the systems <laughs> or on any other TV show. It's just, that's not even mad men, you know, they weren't dressing in suits. It was hard for me. The idea of going to an interview and not looking professional seemed bizarre. So I still, I think I still wore a collared shirt, you know, And I showed up and I was all nervous. And the real reason I got the job is I met with Al for, and historically Al gives pretty short interviews for these type of things. And so I thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this job. But he did look on my, on my resume, I'd previously worked for Senator Chuck Schumer when I was in high school as an intern for like three or four months during a summer. And that's what the whole interview became about. He was just asking me he just wanted to know stuff about Chuck Schumer, which <laughs> and that guy sort of at the time, you know, he wasn't the majority leader, but he was sort of this quirky guy. People seemed to want to know. He was known for overworking his interns and things like that. And Al seemed to really know a lot about the details of like Chuck Schumer was like, well, you, you know more about him than I do. And I got, I got the job right after that, like same, same day. Um, and yeah. And, and, and I know you probably know the history of even even the PAs who have worked on the show, but I remember I sat on my desk and it's like this is where Mike Mitchell sat, you know. And it's like, <laughs> oh my god, and 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 I viewed it as oh my gosh, people who who work here, even from the bottom, like they do end up you know doing things. And the reason, the impetus of me working there was because Jane Becker had left to uh, work on in a writer's room, and. Uh, her show ended up getting canceled after a couple after a couple days. A surprise thing, but Dan Furlong, who I love, who's near and dear to my heart, is a great. Was great writer assistant on The Simpsons. Had a great Simpsons episode too. He moved into the writers' room, 
And so there was all this lore behind who was who was the PA and and all that. It was really welcoming to, to go into that, to like know about all these comedy people who had worked there before. And it gave you the hope of, you know, I could be a writer like this, even though you're getting lunches and you're doing all this, you know, this work at this time, like there's a, there's a future for you out there somewhere. So, wow. so that was cool. Wow. That was very early on that you got that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny you say that about the short interviews from Al, because we were talking a little bit about Cesar Mazariegos earlier yeah. and, you know, same thing. He he told me that when, you know, when he interviewed with Al and Al, you know, the interview was very short and, and Al, you know, he realized he was hired. He, he looked at Al like, wait, are you fucking kidding me? Cause he, he just didn't feel like the interview went well. He didn't yeah. feel like he would get the job. So I think that is super funny. I bet his, I mean, at least we had some Schumer stuff to talk about. <laughs> But hey, Cesar, Cesar is great. That all worked out. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You you talk to that guy immediately like, oh, he knows what he's doing. So Yes, yeah, Cesar is the man. I can't say that enough. Anyone that hasn't listened to that, I think it's episode 22, something like the slide back and check it out. Yeah. Uh, he tells a great story about working um, in the funeral industry. So that's very uh, interesting. Oh, to yeah. Get his about, little, about Cesar. His secret Twitter account about the, the funeral home. I love that. I love that. Uh, so tell me this. Okay. So that's sort of your journey to the show. Uh, you talked about Chuck Schumer. You got in there. Um, yeah. When did your interest in writing comedy come from? What What is, when did that really start for you? When did you realize you were sort of funny and that that might be something you want to do? I grew up in Orange County, which isn't a place that you would think of as a place that's artistic or, or very much like leaning towards comedy. It's more like, you know, very waspy Republicans, you know, very rich waspy Republicans. But I did go to a lot of theater as a kid. And there's this place, shout out to South Coast Repertory, where they kind of breeded a lot, like they kind of were very unusual for a repertory theater to have started the careers and really um, nourish the careers of a lot of original playwrights like Richard Greenberg and even mm. like some of Amy Freed from shout out to Donald Margulies, who was like a professor of Yale. He's, he was a, um, a person who started new girl. He was her teacher. It had all oh, these wow. really great playwrights coming out of there. And uh, I used to go to a lot of this thing called the Pacific playwrights festival. And they would put on these, um, dramatic readings of people's plays. So it wouldn't be a full stage. It would just be people kind of, you know, it's almost like a table read. I didn't know what a table read was at the time. And so I always thought that that's what I want to be. I want to be a serious writer. And every time I tried to write something in a very serious way, it just, it, my urge was to just un, like undercut it. Like it just didn't seem, I, I couldn't take myself seriously. I couldn't write serious drama. It just wasn't working. <laughs> and so I don't know, but that's when I was a, I was a kid. When I first wrote anything comedically, I would say legitimately comedically, was on the school newspaper in high school. And it was only because in high school, at Newport Harbor High School, we had the newspaper, The Beacon. They were very strict on the paper. You had to be in the class, be on the, in the journalism class on the paper for two years before you could be an editor. I think I was a junior or a senior. And I hadn't, I, it was my first year there and it's, I want to be an editor and I didn't want to, you know, write for the sports page, you know, especially because <laughs> it was out every two weeks, the paper, I didn't want to write about the football game from 10 days ago. Nobody was going <laughs> to, nobody cared about it. Nobody cared about our newspaper. Nobody read it. It didn't matter at all. Uh, 
And so what I did is I went and I found all these cool archives from the you know 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it's crazy to feel like a kid and be like, we're we're at the pinnacle of the internet. We're we're supposed to be better than our previous generations. And the writing was so much better in the 50s, 60s, and 70s for our school newspaper and really in-depth stuff. And, and they had an onion style section called the stowaway. And they had this onion, you know, fake, funny comedy thing. So I told the editor, hey, if I bring back this section, can I be the editor of it? Because, you know, there's no spots. And sure, fine. So I sort of started <laughs> writing all these onion fake things and I'd get in big trouble for it. And I was sort of a troublemaker in high school, but I I, I would do things where I made um, fake classified section and the whole page would just be pictures of real people's cars and bikes and things. And I would sell it on there as if it was legit and write little funny blurbs and sell it for way less than it'd be worth and describe the stuff in people's cars. People were mad, like people were mad the next day and fake superlative winners list and it would look all official. And that was about <laughs> me in trouble. But that's when I started writing, you know, and I didn't really even read The Onion before then, um, but it was basically just a knockoff of The Onion. And that, that's when I first started writing comedy things. Wow. No, no, it's, it's really cool to me. You know, you, you look at the connection between like the Simpsons and like, you know, various writing publications, you know, the Harvard Lampoon and all all these different things. I I think there's something cool about that, you know, almost like a, a throwback style of humor you get in like, you know, this school or this college paper. Um, I, I think that's really cool. And I love that, that this started because you looked back at classics. Did, did you still call it the stowaway? No. Oh, yes. It was called the Stowaway, and we I redesigned the logo. Uh, I was really into Photoshop at the time too. I was all into design, which is something I would not it's like. Wow, I really spent so much time, you know, doing that little cursor thing, outlining images. <laughs> I was just stealing images from things, but yeah, I think I added some barrels. Our school is very very sailor themed. Obviously, Stowaway Beacon mm-hmm. mask all the sailor. So I had some you know ship barrels with monkeys coming out of it and. It was all elaborate. I made a whole thing of I, I wanted I wanted to get our readership up. I, I felt like I was some news magnate. I had recently in a class seen an article about the the Otis Chandler family, and that's you know if you see the the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in L.A. is I didn't know that I guess the Chandler family on the paper, and there, there was all these Republicans, and then finally there was this, this sort of liberal guy who took over and got the L.A. Times to be sort of what it is today. And so I was really into at the time, it's like one documentary I saw, I was like, I'm going to be like him. And I just started, you know, we need to liven up this place. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was very Lisa-y of me anyway. No, that's, that's good. That's good. I, th- I think you should definitely uh, track down uh, an, an old copy of that, scan it online. I think people would want to see that. I'd like to see that logo. Yeah. I'm sure it's in some email, something. I was very combative with everyone. Everyone, you can't use real people's names. <laughs> and say that they're doing things that they didn't do <laughs> anyway. Well, so according to what I could find, you you started working on the show in 2015. Does that sound right? Around yeah, that time? Around that time. 2015? Exactly. So you, you talked about, you know, uh, sitting down and being like, wow, you know, this is where Mike Mitchell sat. Uh, do you have any anything that stands out to you about your actual first day or week? Like just, Ooh. you know, what was that experience like that you remember? Hmm. I remember very quickly, I remember meeting Matt Groening very early on. And he, I feel like he asked this question, but he really was interested in what, what you wanted to be. He did ask, he did the only person to ask me this too. No offense. I love every writer and everyone, but 
the only person <laughs> he kind of cornered me oh like so do you want to be a writer do you want to be a director like he really was asking me a lot of questions which i thought wow. so I, I do remember that that kind of stands out because like oh my god matt graining is asking me what i want to be when i grow up <laughs> this is weird you know i was tw- i was 22 at the time um and so it was just this is incredible. And I remember standing in front of there, we have a little Bart hedge uh, on the lot and it might've been Christmas. This might've been 2014, but like Christmas time. And so they were putting all the, that's around when I started and they're putting all the scarves over Bart and Christmifying our donut, which they do every year. And that's always, <laughs> that's always the big, like, Oh no, the day that they do that. I'm like, Oh my God, I've been working here forever before the pandemic was oh no they're putting the scarf on bart again like it's been here for like four years or another year has passed they're putting, passed the, they're putting the, the lights on the donut yes that's that's a big reminder also when the premiere party is announced it was a big thing and they'd stamp the the paper on the on the wall and and they'd they put that up in march and the party wouldn't be until September. And I'd be like, oh my <laughs> god I guess I'm going to this like I guess I'll still be here going to this party. Um but that was not about the show, but just about passage of time in general was was a big reminder of that. But yeah, those yeah. first few days, um, you know, there's there's you know being being walked around, being told like what what our job was and and how to speak to the writers and how to you know just to sort of be familiar, be casual, and everyone was so welcoming and so nice. Um, and and I worked with uh, Kate Raft, who is a great comedy writer and very strongly opinionated. And I feel like when I was 22 and we're stuck in that small office together, like a lot of my comedy came from her. Like she's like, you know, has lots of opinions on things, lots of, you know, very put me in my place. And I think she helped me be a better, like less of an asshole, I guess. (laughs) Really like (laughs) helped me navigate the world. And very much like seemed like she was a writer, like a writer's writer. So that's sort of what I remember early on was, was, was that stuff. And you know, of course, Selman as a personality and Al as a personality and just sort of, you know, navigating the world and, oh my God, Jim Brooks is here today and, and just all that stuff. Yeah, that's that's really cool. You know, and, and in reference to someone, you know, her helping you not be an asshole, I think we could all use that, especially when we're 22. I'm sure when I was 22, uh, I could have used someone to influence me that way. I don't know yeah. how I got to this point, but here we are. <laughs> I feel like it worked. I feel, I feel like, it was, it was like I was afraid of Kate. I was like, okay. That'll do it. That'll, that will definitely do it. Well, tell me, tell me this. So what, you know, it sounds like, you know, I'm assuming here, but it sounds like you were a fan of the Simpsons, like w- before working there. Um, what was your relationship to the show growing up or, or was there one or did you not care or did you care a lot? No, I had a relationship with the show. I watched way too much TV as a kid. Um, and when I become a parent, I think, I'm not sure what my stance on that will be because I guess I turned out okay. <laughs> I don't know, but I still think I did. I, I do regret, you know, I lived by the beach and everyone was riding their bikes to the beach and swimming around. And I, I was too, but definitely 90% less, you know, I'm not a good surfer. Everyone was surfing where I was from. <laughs> I just, I watched so much TV in the daytime. So I watched everything. I did watch the Simpsons, but I don't, I don't think I was obsessed. I wasn't obsessed with the show. I really appreciated the show and I liked the show. I, I, at the time I was watching Futurama too. I was watching, um, a lot of South park. 
people at school would talk a lot about South Park. So that was at the time of the oh, yeah. guys was a lot of people making fun of each other based on that and sort of taking South Park the wrong way, which was to use the <laughs> stereotypes as the joke, even though this, you know, that classic teenager way. Um, yeah, I, I think you're a little bit younger than me, uh, based on what I saw online, but if yeah. you are, you know, late twenties, early thirties, South Park was unavoidable at school. Now, obviously, yeah. you know, kids talked about the Simpsons, kids talked about Futurama, but South Park, you know, for better or worse, made a huge impact on a lot of kids. You were, you were going to hear those jokes the next day. Yes. As I, I will say that I went back in college, I had some friends that were really into the Simpsons. And I feel like a real Simpsons fan is, is someone who like, like that's their show, you know, that's their show. And it was never like, that's my show. But when I watched, when I started writing in college more, and I, I don't think I had seen like, you only move twice. Like I didn't seen the Hank Scorpio thing. I didn't seen some of those big episodes. And I remember, Oh, like I'm, I'm going to find a way to watch, uh, all these episodes in college, I definitely went through a thing where I sort of binged it. And at the time I was all into torrenting stuff and, you know, stealing things online. <laughs> I was binging. No, tons Nick, of, no. Tons of shows. That's why I appreciate that. Steal that episode too, uh, is a great episode uh, talking about that. That Stuart Selman episode that they did. Oh, absolutely. Um, steal this episode, steal this episode. Yeah. I think it's still this episode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, that's interesting too, because, you know, I think a show like The Simpsons, I, I think it's interesting, you know, talking to people or even just listening to people talk about it in other on other podcasts or whatever. Yeah. Uh, not everyone had the same path to the show. Like some people, you know, they got into it very young. Like I was, you know, I was watching it super early. But then you meet people that didn't really watch it until they were, you know, in high school or whatever yeah. it may be. You know, their age could change that or it could be any number of things that that change the trajectory of, of their, you know, f them finding The Simpsons. But I think it's interesting and it's a testament to the show uh, that people will find it late in life or whatever point and it still means something to them. So that's that's a whole other conversation. Definitely. One of the big moments for me working on the show I was a huge Seinfeld fan as a kid. That was on TBS nonstop and all those things. Oh, yeah. I would watch that in the daytime, just one after the other. So meeting Tom Gamble and Max Prost was like insane of a, mm. of a moment for me. But um, I would say I've watched 500, at least 500, 550 out of the 720-ish we've done. I don't yeah, know what, what the gaps are. There's even gaps in the early seasons. but like. Oh my God, I definitely have my favorite episodes and I definitely, you know, love the show and note each writer who did what and Schwarzwelder. And before writing my episode, I read Cartridge Family, which the I read the outline that Schwarzwelder did that's like insane. Just Homer's, oh, yeah. Homer's got a gun is and it's just basically word for word. It's actually a terrible example of something to read before writing because it just totally <laughs> discourages you that in outline form, you can have that many fully formed jokes, which is not really how you should do. Like if I could, I would do it that way, but it's not really how you should do an outline. You should probably focus more on the structure then figure out the rest later. But the way I was trying to write these things and reading that and watching that episode. Oh my God. You know, if I 
I, I would say one of the things I get messaged about the most on Bard of Darkness, you know, and I love when people hit me up about this sort of thing. They ask me like, oh, who's your favorite writer? You know, what do you, what's your favorite episode? Whatever they may ask. But one of the things that I get, I get sent all the time is just, you know, stuff about John Swartzwelder. I mean, I think you cannot name a writer uh, that has resonated with more people across the comedy spectrum <laughs> Yeah. Than some of those John Swartzwelder uh, scripts. And I mean, come on, what a genius. You know, anyone that hasn't read that New York Times interview, uh, that is one of the funny you could you could not script a funnier interview than that real interview with John Swartzwelder. It is incredible. And it's weird too, because I would I would realize I like to joke in a more modern TV show, like more modern, I guess like 30 Rock. Like I'd like there's this really funny joke <laughs> in 30 Rock where Jenna Maroney sings Tennis Night in America. And she sings this whole ballad as if it's like foot Monday night football theme song, but for tennis, oh, yeah. like tennis night in like a very country ballad. And then, you know, you'll watch like that Swartz, a Swartzwell episode from, you know, 15 years before that of just like hyping up soccer in that way. And you're like, oh my God, like, you know, the, I would put so much, like, this is the first time I've ever seen this type of joke. Like, oh wait, the Simpsons, like the, the Simpsons really did this 15 years. I mean, you can't, I'm not saying there was copying involved. I'm just, the a jokes I appreciated, I didn't realize existed in this show I hadn't seen all the time of, you know, I was just a little bit too right. young to really get all that stuff when, when, when some of those episodes were coming out. Um, totally. And then now, oh my God, now I'm a fan. Then I went back and working on the show and working so closely, you know, there's a lore about episodes when you're, when you're working in the writer's room about, you know, episodes from 10 years ago when everyone's talking about different things. And so I, I watched all of the Selman episodes that were show, show run by him and Food Wife is one of my favorite episodes. And, you know, some of those episodes, I'm like, oh my God, like the show still is amazing. Oh yeah. And you can, you know, I think it's a testament also, you know, we talk about, uh, you see a certain kind of joke in a show and then you realize the Simpsons were doing this like this long ago, whatever. I always say, you know, you draw, you can draw lines back to the Simpsons. Some of the funniest stuff that you've ever seen or heard or whatever, yep. you can often trace it back to the Simpsons. I heard, you know, a recent guest say this and I, I I think it's great. He said, whoever you think the funniest person on earth is, they think the funniest thing on earth is the Simpsons. And uh, I think that that is really true. And uh, I mean, you see examples of that across the board. I think, I think what you're saying is a perfect uh, example of that. It was fun too. When I was just in Italy, there was, they, they played the Simpsons nonstop and it just said Simpson and then Griffin after in Italy and all the TV. And I didn't realize for a while that on the remote of all these hotels, you can change the, from Italian to English. So I was mm. watching an Italian for a while and all the signs are in Italian still. I didn't know. I actually didn't know they changed it over or I didn't know they changed the signs too. Maybe only some premier countries <laughs> have the ability to actually change the sign, but Oh man, I saw some Scully era era ones that I had never seen before that were so funny and I hadn't seen the one where, you know, Homer ends up as a missionary on that island and he's chased <laughs> off by the P by PBS. I was, I was been thinking about that the past two weeks about when the Teletubbies laser Homer. You know, I say it on here all the time, but it's a very pro Mike Scully podcast. I, I think uh, his era is, you know, not without its problems, but uh, some of the best. I, I love Mike Scully. He also wrote my favorite episode of the show, Marge Be Not Proud, but I've said oh. that a million times. Everybody knows it. Uh, Mike Scully, 
fucking rules. Uh, Nick, so I want to get into your episode. Let's talk about Bart's in jail. Uh, the second episode of the current season, number 33, season 33, Yeah, number 33, season 33, just incredible. Uh, so people who listen to this podcast or follow me, uh, they know that I advocate for modern Simpsons. I advocate for all eras, although I acknowledge, you know, peaks and valleys, whatever. It's been on for over three decades. Uh, but all of that aside, no matter what you subscribe to as far as your fandom, uh, this episode is just fucking good. Uh, I, I really, you know, I've watched it. Uh, I watched it again before talking to Nick, and it is hilarious. I challenge anyone to watch it and not laugh several <laughs> times. Um what what was it like to work on this episode, Nick? Oh my gosh, a dream to work on a Simpsons episode, whatever the episode was going to be about. And I had known I was going to write an episode for a long time at that point before we went out and wrote it. And then the pandemic happened, and we were sort of pitching around other ideas for the show. And the best part of this episode is that everyone has a story about getting scammed or having a family member get scammed. So it didn't seem like as original that this actually happened to me because it happened to <laughs> sadly thousands of other people where their grandma gets a phone call. But this episode did happen to me where my grandma thought I was in jail in Las Vegas and had to, you know, skirt around who to call or who to talk to. And, you know, she finally realized she could call my cell phone and ask, but no, it's still to this day, like, you never know if you trust, like, maybe she did send money. I don't know. She claims she didn't send any money over, but you don't know. Um, but the impetus of this episode, I, I'm going to start there instead of starting with how it felt to write it, because obviously it felt awesome to write a Simpsons episode. Sure. Was I think Rob Lezebnik, this happened to his father-in-law. And he came in and sort of just told the story. And Selman seemed to be really into this, ooh, scam, grandpa gets scammed. And we had sort of on the whiteboard right before the pandemic, kind of had these like notes about the scam episode. And it kind of went in the direction more about those people on YouTube who scammed the scammer and, you know, really like kind of hold them on the line and do those things. And it was sort of like, it was more, it was even more retribution or revenge. and. I always liked that idea and I always liked that idea of that episode. And I was talking about, Oh my God, this happened to me. And this is what they said. And they knew personal information about me. It was so shocking. I was like, wow. And, and, and I, I'm super into Frank Abagnale, who is the guy behind catch me if you can. And so I had, he had come up with a book called scam me if you can a couple months before. And I had seen it on audible. I'd seen some of that stuff. And, I was listening to this AARP podcast at the time called Scam Watch. And it just tells real stories. Of, it's actually not, I wouldn't say it's super helpful if you're an old person to listen <laughs> to it. It's sort of like, to me, it's super helpful as a writer. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe that scammer. Like, I can't believe how sophisticated these scamming uh, scammers are. But uh, I was listening to that. So I was super into the idea. We, when we were working on, and, and someone had said like, Nick, you can write an episode. And we were talking about it. Pandemic happens. We're scrambling with the season, putting it together. And things really got behind. And we were th- talking about this other episode. And it was, it was a Bart one. It was about sports and other things. And just wasn't really working. And I just suggested, you know, nobody wanted to do that scam, like, episode that we are all talking about. Like, let's, like, work on that. And, and that's when we kind of, like, dove in and added all these beats about you know, more about the generational wealth ideas and some of the ideas about, you know, like 
I loved Knives Out. So I wanted to do this whole Knives Out crazy dream. And Sel- Selman loves this, you know, Selman is a huge Gravity Falls fan. So it was his idea to have like Bill Cipher in the episode and have those have when, you know, in that moment, like that would be the perfect trickster God to be in that row of trickster gods. And so it was just really fun working with, with, with Selman. And we would just like have these late night phone calls, just talking about the script. And we were so far behind that it was sort of a scramble to write that episode. It was like, I had two, I think usually have two weeks off. And I had like, Oh, it was like, Oh, like this table read is in a month. Like we need to like, he's like, you need to write this. <laughs> and it's like, Oh my God. So it was sort of nerve wracking. And I kept doing, you know, I kept going to the lot. Like I felt like I needed to focus. I need to go to the lot. Like I feel weird being at home. I need to go back to my office at work. And I would go left to work and I'd see this like capsule of our lives of March, 2020 still there, all the calendar, all our, our food support, you know, expired. And so it was a weird element. Like I'd be alone in the writer's room writing parts of that episode. Uh, you know, when the cleaning staff would come in in hazmat suits and spray everything down every night as if we were still working there. They did that every single day. Wow. Anyway, so that's what it was like. It was really, really bizarre and fun. And uh, I was just trying to write as many, many jokes. I thought for some reason the success of a first draft is as many jokes staying into the episode versus story making sense, which I think story making sense is probably more important. But that was my goal. My goal is definitely joke driven. I mean, I got to say, you know, I, I, I think it is full of jokes. And I think, you know, we were talking about this earlier, like how it does have, you know, vibes of like a classic era episode because it is very joke dense. And I, you know, I think the story makes sense. Um, it's a little ridiculous in a great yeah. way. You know, I, I think, you know, you start right at the top where the whole, the whole, setup of the scam and you see all these people like in uh you know they're they're sending all these people in this room sending wires and all they all you know hello grandfather you've got to help me what is that you bart that's right it's me bart i'm so scared i'm in jail jail Please don't tell my dad or mom. They'll be so mad. The policeman needs to talk to you. Sir, your grandson is in big trouble. No, not Bart, my little angel. Well, he was arrested for vandalism and shoplifting, sir. Yeah, that sounds like Bart, that little devil. If you don't send his bail money in the next 90 minutes, he's going straight to the downtown juvenile detention center. Grandfather, help me, please. Don't worry, Bart. Just tell me what you need and I'll do it. Your grandpa loves you. I need to wire some money to an overseas account to bail my grandson out of an unnamed jail. Fill out this form. I didn't know my little Emma was in Colombia, let alone working as a drug mule. I'm just so thankful the Russian secret police will accept the title to my Lexus. Like, that is so funny. Yeah. Um, so right away, it's just hitting you with something familiar because now, you know, you can't, a day, a day doesn't go by that you don't get some email scam or, yeah. you know, like, oh, you know, it's time to renew your car insurance. You know, everyone gets these phone calls every day. So I think it is, you know, current and relatable, but also packed with jokes. Thank you. That, and, and every time we get a text from a scammer about, you know, the, the one everyone's getting now is that UPS parcel link. Like your package has been delivered yeah. and it's a fake email. Every time 
one of the writers or I will just, you know, text, I'll text Selman or they'll text me like they're, they're trying to scam me now. <laughs> like every, every scam story <laughs> back to this episode. So I, I love that. I, I hope every, every time somebody gets scammed and we found out a lot of writers, that was a, another fun thing is to find out which writer is like the most gullible and most susceptible to scamming because everyone had a story. We we're like, wait, why do you have six stories? about like LADWP saying that they shut off your power and you're going to buy gift cards. So it made us like a little weird, like, oh, wait, like maybe so-and-so isn't as well, put together as we thought. And, and not only that, but I think what's so funny, you know, about, about it being so common that, you know, you're saying everyone has yeah. a scam story. I've never personally fallen for one. Um, I, you know, you see them a lot in email and like you can normally spot it because the email doesn't make sense or there's misspelled words or whatever. If you, if you really take a look, you can normally sure. catch it. But also like the, some of the most ridiculous ones. And I think it's funny to see that there's so many levels, like some are so baseline. Uh, a, a couple of years ago at my job, we were getting a phone call often, uh, from the FBI in big quotes, uh, where they were, you know, trying to extort money or, or they were saying that we were under investigation for whatever. And, uh, you know, to the point that we would just start hanging up on this phone call and, and, you know, we've never talked to them. And then they would call from the same phone and claim to be someone else. So it's interesting to see, you know, how normal it is to get yeah. scammed. And I think it's even funnier for you to say that some people got scammed multiple times. And they did. And it was funny too. I mean, the episode aired right before my wedding. And a lot of people came up to me at my wedding to tell me their scam story. And like, no, folks at the wedding, not like, but, <laughs> like, but everyone's very visceral. And, you know, when it involves like their, you know, elderly grandparents and it's terrible, it's honestly terrible. And I, I only had, a f I didn't, I only had a few people over to watch it. And one of my friends was sort of like, was seemed really sad about Homer really being mean to grandpa in that moment about finding out the $10,000. I was like, I hope his apology sort of buys back his like very, very, you know, insane, insane anger about not knowing he has an inheritance when his, when his own father has clearly been duped. Right. So all that. All, all the scamming stuff was just, it was honestly too big of an area. Everyone had a different, you know, idea. And, and, and in my original draft, we had even more stuff early on that couldn't fit in the show. We had a giant act two. We had a crazy Bart, you know, we had a great Bart joke uh, that just didn't fit where he, um, it turns out he's been scamming people. And he, he <laughs> sort of says like, I've been scammed too, but then explains his story. And everyone had like a little flashback. And his flashback, clearly he's been scamming other people. It's like, oh, wait, like there was some good, some good stuff uh, in there that just was. I love that. That sounds really, that sounds yeah. really funny. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious to know, like uh, what, you know, you're talking about hearing these stories. What is the most egregious one? And I know you said that like, you know, there was a scare yeah. with your grandmother. Uh, I'm always telling my mom, like, hey, if you get a weird email or a weird phone call, call me before you do anything. Like if something sounds weird, let me sort of get the details. Uh, but does it do any stand out? It's just like, I can't believe you fell for that. All of them that is of people who aren't like 75 or older to me seem like I can't believe you fell for that. For some of them, <laughs> or especially the one like anytime you're going to be buying gift cards, I just think that's come on, like you're an adult, you know, like there's something fishy. Don't don't buy right. gift. like you know your power service doesn't accept gift cards. But some of them <laughs> in reading, I would say in reading 
uh, and I did, I read a lot about these scams. They like, you kind of get why people fall for them. The more elaborate ones are more like con men style things. Um, like one of them is called the personal shopper scam that we were all interested in. And we thought, oh, it doesn't really fit. We thought maybe Marge could have a little bit of a personal shopper scam happen to her, but it's very elaborate and involves putting an ad out in a newspaper in sort of an affluent area. And what they do is, and this one happened to be, I think in Tucson, Arizona, or so Scottsdale, Arizona or something. And they put out an ad saying, we need a personal shopper for a millionaire client or, you know, like one of these things, like we're interviewing people and they interview people at a real hotel. So they go to the, you know, St. Regis or the Four Seasons or one of these fancier hotel suites and they just book it for the day. They interview people and they kind of, they, they target people when they find out about their life and they find out if they're married to like a, a rich person. A lot of people, they target people who are married to doctors. They'd send them a check uh, for a, a huge amount of money. And then after they'd send the check and they would cash it, there was some complicated thing where they said, oh, we're so sorry. Our, he's moving back to Monaco or some fancy area. Like <laughs> he doesn't need the clothes anymore. And like, can you like, while it's, you know, they didn't know it's still pending. Like, can you send us back the money? And so they send back the money and then the check wouldn't clear. And now they're mm. out. And the big key is, I guess they don't, usually banks kind of put a hold on transferring funds if you don't have like a ton of money in your account. So they targeted these people who are married to, or just like, you know, just had more money. You know, the bank would immediately have the funds. So they would look in their account. I have the funds. And then the funds would go away. So mm. that was that was a big one. I'm like, oh my God, the fact that they would rent, like they would use a real fancy hotel and a lot of steps to scamming these wow. poor people. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to, you know, I might just clip this out and 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 take a look at it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> might run some scams myself. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I'm very, I'm like you, I'm very intrigued by this idea of cons. Uh, I, I find them interesting. I'm not saying that I want to actually do them, but there is something very, I don't know if respectable is the word, but about, you know, devising such a long, a long spanning idea that works is, yeah. is interesting to me in, in any, in any situation. Yeah. For the most part, like our version of it is you get the voicemail, you know, we are the social security, you owe us, you know, it's like, Okay, so you have those ones that it's it's just robocalls out to fifty million people, and then you know fifty people do it. Um, yeah, the elaborate ones we don't really face as much, but I did think those ones were interesting. And and one big fact, I mean, we had more technical stuff in this about those, you know, the grandparents' love scam, which is what this is about. Which, you know, they do look at the kids' social media now, find out the names of their friends, find out the makes of their cars, and so when they pretend to be the police you know, they add those details and it does seem really believable to, you know, a oh, yeah. grandma that, you know, and their friend Eddie is okay. He was in the passenger seat and, you know, he's, he's in the hospital and, and, oh, like they, they kind of piece it together that this is real. So that was, oh my God, the age of social media has made it even easier uh, for these scammers. And, and not only that, but, you know, a, a big one now that I don't know if you've seen is giveaway scams. So like, you know, say, yeah. uh, X, X account is doing a giveaway. Someone will make a name that is like one letter different from their name. 
uh, and make all their info look the same. They'll even post some of the photos and then they will message people and say, Hey, you actually won. I just need your, you know, bank routing information, uh, to confirm that you're who you say you are or whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, often that gets caught pretty quick and those accounts get taken down, but I've seen some people, uh, you know, fall for that or get caught up in that because it will look like that person. Um, it's just strange, but I mean that, and I, I, when you bots do, do that too, when you do your like giveaways for all this merch you do, are some people a little bit like afraid to give you information? They're like, there's a little bit of like, wait, is this legit? Like, I don't know. I am lucky that I have somehow, at least to my knowledge, as I'm saying this, there's probably like 50 accounts that have been doing this secretly to me. Yeah. Uh, but I've, I don't think I've ever been spoofed uh, somehow. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen, maybe it's because the name uh, is, you know, there's no spaces in it. That'd, it'd be hard to make a version that looked, you know, not suspicious. Uh, but I don't think anyone's done that to me, but I, I could see people being like, I have had people say like, you know, I'd rather not give you my home address in a DM uh, for whatever reason. Uh, so do you have an email I can send it to or whatever? So, you know, people do get a little weary social media, uh, for all that it's good for, uh, also sort of sucks. So, uh, it's, it's tough to navigate that, especially if you're, you know, trying to do a giveaway. I did one back in October, uh, and I was a little worried about that because I've seen it happen to a lot of people, Bill Oakley, you know, other friends of the podcast, uh, that are just like trying to do a fun giveaway and there's someone trying to rip off their followers. So yeah. it is interesting to see that. It's weird. So one thing I wanted to note about this uh, episode, and I don't know if the animators did this on purpose or not. Um, uh, the, w- w- the community center where they go for these, uh, meetings yes. definitely resembles the, uh, adult education annex from secrets of a successful marriage, uh, which is also some people might know as where Mo teaches us funk dancing as self-defense. Uh, but it definitely looks very similar to that place. I'm going to, I'm going to choose to believe it's the same place. It, it might be. I, I know early on. I wanted to ask for more pulls from episodes. And if you did notice this show does, it does have a lot of Simpsons library music cues. That was a big thing we wanted to have, like to feel that classic feel was to find those. I mean, there's great other music. I mean, I thought they did an amazing knives out style thing for, for the music underneath. I'm like, Oh man. So I was so happy about that because early on, I just, I just stole the Knives Out soundtrack and just put it under the animation before they did any of the music stuff. Just for me, they're like, this is how I want it to sound. <laughs> just for me, I hadn't even show. And I was like, oh my God. And they they just like had it ready. You know, they kind of felt out, they know those whodunit things. But some of those, um, you know, those, I, I watched so many older episodes and just like listened to those. I like big establishing shots. I felt like earlier shows, since they had 24 minutes versus 22, they they spent they had like a, maybe an extra second on those establishing shots, which kind of added more to the music of of those music cues. So I did ask for a lot of like old pulls of that. I asked for a lot of old pulls of of, of animation and characters and things. So maybe they did take that. Uh, I know we spent a lot of time on the design of the post office. <laughs> Just <laughs> it was very particular about like it not being too fancy of a post office. We were very into that. I don't remember the design of the of the scam center. It, uh, it, it looks, it looks very similar. And also, uh, anyone, you know, he's talking about the knives out parody. Anyone that hasn't seen this episode, if you like seeing Homer, uh, drawn, you know, as multiple, you know, 
genders and just characters. Uh, that scene is incredible. And also just the read of, and because I'm a moron, yeah. I gave my money away to, it's very, very funny. That's one of those uh, great jokes. That's one of the things that I made so many notes about is like, there are multiple jokes in this episode uh, that I, I think are just laugh out loud funny. Uh, and, and I like hearing that you wanted sort of that, you know, classic pull, those big establishing shots. I like, I like hearing that. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I felt like I had, I had a lot of free reign. I had a lot of lack of time to really like redo things in a way. Like it just sort of, it, it just sort of happened. We had the table read and it was just sort of quick. The turnaround was so much quicker than our other things. We were just that whole last part of the season. I don't know, something about COVID really like the, I don't know. Everything felt slower. We just felt behind on, on setting up our stories for that season, you know, and it all turned out amazing. I mean, and also we had the Fargo thing, I think was really like close after mine. And so that was like this big giant behemoth of writing that I remember Cesar, I think he missed like the beginning of all the rewriting of my stuff because he was out doing, and I was shocked. He's so fast. I think he wrote those two episodes in the same time it took me to write the one or something crazy like that. So I was like, Oh God, but uh, what a maniac. Yeah. What a maniac. But we, we, uh, (laughs) it was, it was fun. It was fun writing all those jokes. And I think my favorite, my favorite read from Dan Calcinetta, who does so much in this episode because of the, this is really a grandpa Homer episode. It's really the emotion is really Marge and we're tracking Marge for her understanding of the world and how she feels about the world but it really is a like performance toward a force of dan and he had this great read on who clicks the link when he's just so mean about his kids getting scammed and and i just and he just read it exactly how like and and a thousand times better than i imagined it just like his laugh everything he does is so good so well and and you know, one of my favorite things in the whole episode, and I made a note of this, is Homer explaining how the cut life system works. Yeah, uh, just with a with a smile on his face the whole time is so goddamn funny. Yeah. I I don't know if it would do justice in audio. Uh, if it does, maybe I'll drop it in. But that is just well, you gotta be like me, always on guard, so you're never a sucker. Delivery for Homer Simpson. Why'd you buy all these knives? They're not knives. They're the future of cutlery. Put them in the garage with the others. Others? Cut Life is a famous multi-level marketing company. Dad, you fell for a pyramid scheme. Scheme? No way. They didn't even want to let me join. But luckily, at the last minute, a space opened up. How many knives have you even sold? (laughs) I don't sell them. I engage opportunity handlers to distributize them for me, the Expandibution Manager. It's all part of Charles E. Cutlife's three-dimensional triangle system. Look! Why can't Dad ever get arrested in a suit? Face it, genius. You got scammed. (laughs) She's right. Everyone's right. Don't look at my gullible face. Consigned to the flames, a monument to my own stupidity. The way he's like, no, 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 it's not. You know, you just do this. It's so yeah, it's so good. And also, you know, I would like to, uh, you know, shout out to Stephen Dean Moore. 
Um, a great veteran director. I'm sure it was awesome to work with him. Uh, some really great poses on Homer in this one. I mean, there was some very good character acting in this one. Homer's whipping around in bed and slinging his head around. There's some really good stuff going on with Homer. He was, yeah, he, he had a lot of fun poses. I felt like I liked his like laughing and his, it was just like, it was cool. It was very animated, very expressive, which I love like versus flat. I like when they're extremely expressive and he's the nicest guy. And I, oh my gosh, like he's done so many episodes too. It's, it's insane. Um, and he has some good ones coming up too, that he's doing. Yeah. I remember seeing the color come in and everyone was complimentary of like the animation. When the color came in, we used to do color screenings, but the bandwidth of the zoom is so crazy now that we can't have all the animators on and all the people versus an animatic in black and white. We have everybody, we do a screening. So now we kind of just, who, who's ever in the room at the time will sort of watch it all together. So it'd be like eight people watching it. It's like really intimate watching it with that group versus the 40 people. Cause all our videos still <laughs> on and, and everyone was so wowed by it, like how, how good it looked and how the face acting and everything. That's a big, we, we do tons of director's notes in the script. And I would say the number one director's note is like talking about face acting on characters and how they look in, in individual moments which makes sense because those are tricky. So sure. And there was a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and the reason I, I make note of that is, and, and I think it all, you know, it's kind of coming together in my brain as we talk about it, because um, obviously, you know, I, I'm attracted to, you know, I'm a broken record. I'm attracted to all eras of the Simpsons for different reasons. Uh, I think that it's important to look at, you know, where humor was during certain times and, and why things change and all that. But, you know, for for me to say that visually and and you know from the from the style of humor and everything this episode has a vibe that I think would speak to any era Simpsons fan like if you're the kind of fan uh that you know likes to say oh you know I don't watch after 12 or I don't watch after season 8 which is I think yeah. one of the most insane things I've ever heard uh if you're one of those people um, this is a perfect recommendation. I'm always being hit up for, you know, we'll get, you know, tell me some good modern ones. I'm actually supposed to be working on a list. I was supposed to have that out like a couple of weeks ago. So bear with me, everybody. But, um, I just haven't had time, but this, this will make any list of great modern episodes. And, you know, I'm not just saying that because Nick's on the podcast. I genuinely on both watches, uh, just loved it. And I think there is that sense of, you know, a throwback style. It's a smaller story. It doesn't feel so crazy, uh, which is, is really nice. I mean, I like it all, but I think there's something cool about that sort of a little throwback style. Cool. Thank you so much. I think I you it. were saying that just because I was here, but yes. No, nah, you, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe some of it's because Nick's here, but in general, I really like the episode. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I first asked Nick to come on, I will say this. I, I was like, oh yeah, you know, Nick's got an episode coming out. I'd love to, you know, have him on talk about it. I love talking to new writers. And for some reason I got confused and I thought you wrote, I, I, for some reason I forgot which one you wrote when I first asked you to come on. Oh. And then I go, Oh wait, he wrote Bart's in jail. That one, you know, killed me. That one's so funny. So when I initially hit Nick up, I wasn't even thinking of the right episode. So, uh, that, that means the comment, that means the compliment is sincere, Nick. So you can't oh, accuse me of that. Love it. <laughs> That's cool. So, you know, I got a couple more questions before we get out of here. I'm not going to keep Nick all night, but um, as an assistant to the producers, a writer, someone who's been, uh, you know, someone who's been involved with the show for the last few years, what do you think makes a show like The Simpsons last this long? Why is it special uh, as someone who is on the inside now? Ooh. Well, 
I mean, the intricacies of why it's lasted so long, I'm not sure if I could really answer that in terms of all the people involved to make that happen. But I will say the specialness is because it's a classic sitcom. And I do think the idea of a family and a family like The Simpsons and the way they were structured early on as a show of how clear it is of which character stands for what and their whole dynamic, like it's, I feel like it's almost easy for it to still be on TV because you can come up with a new story, you know, every day with how, how they would react to a different subject or something happening to them. And you can find stuff for each character still. So there's tons of room for episodes to still last. And also I think the novelty of an animated show, like I remember it being such a big deal when it was 300 episodes. Like I remember that being such a big headline. And now it's like American Dad has probably had 300 episodes or, you know, tons of shows have had that are animated. They have like a longer shelf life. They can last longer. Um, But I just think that the amount of care that's put into these things and the amount of care that's put into the animation and how like how it works to make these episodes all together and seeing the process. And I feel like in this pandemic, everyone who's worked on the show has seen the show in, in a bigger way than they ever have before, because it's just, everyone's too busy. Everyone's sort of like, if you wrote the episode, you're sort of doing it yourself. A lot of the things and you're going and you're meeting and you're seeing all the emails with legal and you're seeing all, you know, all the intricacies of what makes a show like, Oh my God. And it made, I think it made everyone appreciate like Selman and Al and like when they are show running their shows, like there is so much you guys are doing that you just don't <laughs> in the writer's room, you don't really see. Um, so I just think the care for it. And then just the good, I mean, think about the people who worked on the show for those, t- the, 20 years that are still there. It's like every, yeah. everyone who's everyone who's a writer could be a showrunner of any show, you know, right now that's airing on TV, but it's like the Simpsons is such a special thing that like we can have someone like Mike Price, you know, work on the show too, you know, and do F is for family, you know, it's like the, so to have everyone of that level, like it's hard to screw up, you know, it's hard to really like everyone is so good. And as in doing this for so long, like they breathe the show, they breathe the show. And that was my first, like working there, I was like, oh my God, everyone, it's so natural. And I was shocked to see people like pitch a whole page of an episode. Like, like that was the biggest thing is, I guess I never knew about TV, just, you know, ever, it's, it's more spoken than really written in the writer's room. And so people just pitching whole stories, just, ta- just talking and so casual. That was a big shock to me. Wow. Anyway. Yeah, I mean that's that's perfectly said. I, I think that that is, uh, you know, th- there is something very truly different about the way the show started, and it's something I talk about all the time. Uh, you know, it, it it goes without saying. I think it's the greatest show of all time. Uh, you know, whether whether you can see my room or whether you can't, <laughs> it's obvious that I see it. That, it's that is that that is not news. You know what I mean? Anyone that listens to this show, that is not news to you. But I think even outside of my own bias, I think that that is. Uh, something that anyone could argue. I think there's an argument that is the greatest, uh, most influential on comedy uh, show of all time in so many ways. And I think, you know, what Nick is saying about how anyone there could almost do whatever they want. You know, he mentions Michael Price. Big shout out to Michael Price. A great, great writer on the show. One of my favorite episodes of this podcast. So, you know, that is... That is so true, Nick. That is very, very well said. Nick Price is the best. Big shout out to him. 
Oh yeah, Mike's. I love awesome, Epics man. for Family too. I watch it. Oh, I'm always asking so good. questions about it. So good. I'm sad that it's coming to an end. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to give Nick sort of an altered version of of the big three, uh, which is is not going to be that different. But basically, to anyone that is new to the podcast, I ask three questions to most guests, especially people not from the show, but sometimes newer writers and newer staff to the show. Um, And it's basically to give me a better idea, like, you know, what you like and don't like about The Simpsons. Uh, So tell me, Nick, who is your favorite character, whether it's just in general or to write for? And why? Oh, wow. Homer is my favorite character to write for. Like, I'm going to go with that answer. I think people who say a different answer, I don't know. He's so <laughs> fun to write, to write anything or pitch anything on. And so being able to, like, that was a big moment to just write Homer. And now anytime I write the word home, I write Homer. Any word I write home, if and it's going to be stuck in my brain for 50 years. And if I write home, I just <laughs> add an R to it <laughs> but uh yeah homer easy i mean mo is super fun too i mean there's tons of fun characters to write for but homer just breathe like they're so like he can really say anything and do anything at any time which i think when i see other when i see the writers just pitch something like you think you're in a kind of defined area that we're pitching on and what we're trying to get across and it could be the craziest thing ever that's super funny and take the show in a different direction just for that moment. And it still makes sense. It doesn't ruin the story or anything. And I think that's what's kind of funny. He's like the least limiting character. Yeah, no. Homer Homer rules. He's climbing the ranks. Eventually, enough people are going to say Homer that this question is just going to stop existing because Homer, you know, and, you know, we talked about that John Swartzwelder interview. Uh, he compared Homer to just a dog that you can write human jokes for. Uh, and I think that that's perfect. I mean, there's nothing that he can't do. Uh, that's a testament to the character. It's a testament to Dan. Uh, Homer just fucking rules. I imagine writing a joke that you then get to hear Homer say has got to yes. be crazy. Oh my gosh. It's, it really is crazy at the table read, maybe even more so at the record, because then you hear him say it five times <laughs> and you're like, Whoa, then it hit insane. Really hit especially with that really good sound quality. Um, Ugh, insane. So, and then when you see it come, then you see it animated. Oh my God. Like, next level, man. That's next level. Well, tell me who is your least favorite and why? Oh, wow. What do other people say? Least favorite. I just say a random character we don't. So it's interesting. The reason I've continued to ask this because I did actually change uh, from the original second question to this one, because I think it is fun to challenge people to come up with someone, because if you think about it, there has got to be a character that you probably never think to write a joke for, or when they're on screen, you're just not that you don't like them, but you just don't care. So I think it's, it's interesting to think about that. I, you know, I often say Millhouse to give you an example. I'm not a big Millhouse guy. Um, I've said that on the show like 30 times, but that's, that's, more, that's sort of I what, like what I say is more example. than Millhouse. I think Kurt's <laughs> Me too. Me too. like, he's really fun. Cause you can bring out all these, you know, sad jobs, sad things that you see. You know, I, I remember there was a joke about him moving the topless maid vans was his job was to move them around <laughs> corner to corner. I really like think about that all the time about him doing that as his job. But uh, yeah, Millhouse is fine. I guess maybe for me personally, not that I'm like writing all these characters all the time, but like in the room, especially when we work on scripts with Flanders in it, I just don't feel like I can get that energy 
of the howdly doodly and the rhyme. Like it's hard. For, for, and some people are so quick, like they're quick, especially the people who've worked there a long time. Like they get Flanders voice and they can do those jokes really easily. And they sometimes say it in his voice too. Like I can't do voices. <laughs> uh, and some people are really good at like, you know, pitching in Marge's voice or pitching in Flanders' voice. And I, I'm just like, I can't get to that energetic level of cheeriness that he has that I, I feel maybe I'm just not happy enough <laughs> to do. To no, do that's, I think that's fair. You're probably the first person to say Flanders. I like that. Yeah. I mean, Flanders, it's like, he, he gets a lot of jokes and a lot of funny things in the, in the show too. I don't know if he's my least favorite, but that's what came to my head. I couldn't think of, uh, of anyone <laughs> else. Mrs. Glick. Yeah, but, Mrs. Glick. Say Mrs. Glick. There you go. No, I'm putting Nick in the hot seat. You know, I'm, I'm giving him this, these are the hard hitting questions. I need to know who Nick doesn't like yeah. on the Simpsons. Uh, okay. So when I, the reason I say that I'm giving you sort of a, an altered version of the big three is I normally ask for three favorite episodes, but what I would like for you to do for me, if you can Ooh. is give me three, let's say three episodes that have been in your time there that you think people should watch. Oh, def. Oh, I love this question. This alteration makes it easier. Um, there you go. Wow. I really, okay. I really love Thanksgiving of horror. Um, Dan Weber. That was, that was early on when I first got into the writer's room was that script. And we were working on this fourth segment and it was a huge script. And I remember when the people from black mirror came in and that one is just awesome. And my favorite thing about it is, is the agabalipto segment. And the table so read, everyone speaking in turkeys. We were so nervous of like how it would go. And everyone la- like hearing Dr. Hibbert do his chuckle in a turkey voice. Like I just, that, and the way it was animated, it's just, I love that episode. Everyone should watch that. Um, so good. First off, I love a lot of the, of the Weber episodes. I will say, <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to put this on my list, but, but like Bart, the bad guy and the last bar fighter are, are great ones. And Bart, the bad guy I love too, because. I'm a big Marvel fan and I bought the Marvel encyclopedia and I got uh, the Russo brothers to sign it, Kevin Feige to sign it. And it's mm. if anyone wants to, you know, go onto the Fox lot and steal that. We, we had like a, it's, it's still like on this, it might be on my desk still, um, <laughs> but yeah, that one's great too. But I would say my, I'll put Thanksgiving horror one. I'll put, Okay, I don't remember what this was called. The Manichek episode is what I'm going to call it. What is it? The home is where the heart, where the art is. It's something funny like that. Homer yeah, 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 yeah. That one, I like the opening segment. And I'm gonna, uh, I talk about long establishing shots. That one is so funny to me is that I think it must, must have been Selman's idea. Somebody noticed that from those classic Columbo episodes, they have these crazy 15 second establishing shots of just his car going up, driving up to the house. And I thought it was so funny. It was so jarring in a Simpsons episode to see these like 15 second long establishing shots where you're just watching a car go up a winding road. I just like love the parody of the 70s Polish detective insurance guy. I love that episode. And I don't know how much love that one gets. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a good one. I'm, I'm also blanking on the name. Uh, I think that is what it's called, but I, I'm drawing a total. Yeah. It's like home is where the heart is. And then I'm going to say this one, I'm not sure how much the internet loved this one, but I loved the intern, Mike Wegman, Michael Rappaport. And that was the first joke I ever got in a show was on that script. And so I remember that a lot. And it, it was a joke that kept almost getting cut. 
So I remember like every time it'd be a, a, an animatic or a color, it's like, this joke doesn't, it totally could be cut from the script and you would never notice. It wouldn't change a story. It wouldn't change anything. It's like the perfect cut to save time. And it just was <laughs> always on the chopping block, but it made it. And I, I, I think about that episode a lot. And I love um, that the song, Let the River Run, plays at the end uh, from Working Girl. Um, and just <laughs> when Michael Rappaport, when he's his character and he, Fat Tony has the gun to his head and he says, just do me just do me already. Like he just like, <laughs> totally agreed to just being killed. Just kill me. And yeah. I just love, there's some, I'm a big, I love sports references too. And there's a thousand weird New York sports references in there. And I love that episode. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can also say, I don't know how much the internet loved that one, but I, I got a lot of laughs out of that one. It is an absurd story and it sort of relies on, Homer being this celebrity to a guy, uh, yeah. which, which feels sort of odd, but also, uh, anyone that, that thinks that stuff is weird. Let me remind you all that Homer went to space so, uh, they can do whatever they want. I think seeing <laughs> this new character you haven't seen before could be a little jarring at first. Just like, who is this guy who's funny and skinny? And anyway, yeah. I like the character design on him. I like that episode a lot. That's a yeah. great list. And Thanksgiving of horror, I will say. Uh, I'm not sure if this episode will drop before or after, but I might be doing something about that for November. So uh, keep your eyes peeled. I might have an episode about that episode. I love that one so much. Also, the poster that Bill Morrison did for that uh, that big Bill Morrison fan right here. That poster is fantastic. So yeah, great episode, a great list. More posters for more episodes. I also love about that episodes, fake credits. And I love fake credits. Halloween, like any chance of fake credit names, I go crazy for that. And then uh, yeah, everyone should watch Serious Flanders. I would put that on my list if it aired yet, but that one is is going to be insanely good. By the time you're all here in this episode, I think that that one has dropped and I am stoked. I mean, the trailer uh, is is insane and I think it's going to be really, really awesome. Yeah. I love a good two-parter, so I'm, I'm all for that. It's going to be great going to be great. Well, Nick, I mean, you know, honestly, man, I, I could talk to you. Uh, I, I could just pick your brain for Simpsons knowledge all night, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you get out of here, but I want you to tell everyone where to find you, uh, you know, where to follow you on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, anything that you want to plug or shout out, please. The floor is all oh, yours. Wow. I mean, you can find me on Twitter. I basically just post Simpson stuff now. I'd love <laughs> to post behind the scenes things of when we get back to work, I love to post when the orchestra is there and the symphony is doing their thing. And, you know, I love secretly filming when the sign says no filming. That's my favorite thing to do. So I'll, I'll post stuff like that. But I don't really, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't tweet that much. My Instagram's private. But if you want to follow me, maybe I'll say yes. I'd said yes to yeah. said yes to Warren here. So, yeah, uh, uh, that's what I'll plug. And I'll plug, again, I'll plug Serious Flanders, which I plugged two seconds ago. Watch it if you already haven't. Watch it. Watch it. Watch all the episodes that uh, Nick suggested. You will not be disappointed. He's doing some of my job for me because I'm slacking on that list. (laughs) Uh, But Nick, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, As for all of you, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at simpsonsisgreat at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, consider leaving me a review on Apple or basically anywhere that accepts reviews. Uh, you can follow the official Instagram at Simpsons is greater than, or on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bart of darkness on Instagram or Twitter. And as for me and as for Nick, 
I'll see everybody next week.